Welcome back, everybody, to the Unboxing Judaism podcast. My name is Rabbi Ari Wolby. And I am Rabbi Yaakov Nagel. A pleasure being here again. We have a brand new topic and a new discussion. I've received these two questions that we're going to discuss in this podcast from students. I had a student here this week, and we were talking about kosher. And he says to me, what are you telling me? that being blessed by a rabbi isn't what kosher is all about. So let's begin. What is kosher? Just to clarify, the student said that he always believed that there was a rabbi at the end of every plant that manufactured food, that there was a rabbi there blessing the food, and that's what meant kosher. So let's bring some light to this topic. I'm actually curious, how did this imaginary understanding come about? So, this is my guess, okay? At a certain manufacturing plant, food plant, they decided they want to go kosher, they called the rabbi, and the rabbi came in, he looked at the manufacturing, he looked at the system, he looked at all the food, all the ingredients and everything, and Basically, he says, you know, before we come in, I have to like make sure that everything's okay. And once I give it my blessing, everything will be fine. And he sort of meant that as long as it's everything is up to standard, then that means it's good to go. And somehow from there became an understanding that there's an actual blessing for koshering food to make the food kosher. It's like, why can't you make a blessing on any food if that's what it is? So, of course, that isn't what it is. And uh, to really understand uh, kosher, one needs to understand that the Torah has numerous requirements with regards to food. There's a lot of food that is forbidden to eat. There's a lot of food that is allowed to be eaten, but it needs to be prepared in a very, very specific way. And then there's mixtures and details of mixtures, and there's so much science involved in kosher that... It's uh, people have degrees, chemical de- chemical engineering degrees, to n- know exactly where there's an issue, what's their issue. They need to have this type of expertise because what you think has nothing to do with kosher, it does have to do with kosher, but it's really go- boils down to almost a once a recognition and understanding of what the Torah is requiring here, and then understanding of the science of whether it matches up or doesn't match up. And what the rabbi is doing, he's not giving a blessing, but what he's doing is verifying the laws of kosher are being met at every stage and level to make that he, that people who come to eat and they want to know, make sure that the food that they're eating is kosher, that the rabbi says, you're good to go. That's what it means. The rabbi gave it his blessing. That means that he checked off all the possible questions and issues to determine that this food is indeed kosher. Thank you very much, Rabbi. I want to just bring from Leviticus, the Chumash of Vayikra, the third book of the Torah, chapter 11, where the Torah specifically, clearly outlines what is and what is not kosher. So I'm just going to, there are four different categories of food. And there are very simple instructions that can go very, very deep if we, the deeper, the more we look into it. So on the very 
basic surface. Anything that grows from the ground is kosher. Anything that grows from the ground, so any fruits, any vegetables, anything that grows from the ground is kosher, except if it has bugs in it. So any type of leafy uh, lettuce or any type of uh, broccoli, any of these things that grow from the ground, any fruit that you have ever seen, they're all kosher, except if they have bugs in them or worms. So that's what we ensure when you see kosher lettuce, kosher things like that, then we are guaranteeing that this has been washed thoroughly multiple times and there's an entire process to ensure that. But on a very basic level, if you're stuck out in Antarctica or any place in the world and you don't know what's kosher, what's not kosher, fruits and vegetables are always kosher. Just ensure that they don't have any bugs in them. That's number one. Now, not everything that grows from the ground are we allowed to eat. It may be kosher, but we may not be allowed to eat it uh, like something which grows during the first three years of its of a fruit tree. We have orla. We don't touch anything from the tree, so we can't enjoy the apples that grow from an apple tree during the first three years. We have to wait till the fourth year till we can start enjoying from them. Additionally, something which grows in the land of Israel on the seventh year of Shemitah, the sabbatical year, that is not allowed to be sold or profited from, and we're not allowed to work the ground, the earth, during that year. So that as well is just a, a particular detail that needs to be brought into uh, into consideration. There's another category, which is the fish. Any fish that has fins and scales is kosher. There's no ritual of how you slaughter it. As long as it had fins and scales, it's kosher. Any land animal that has split hooves and chews its cud is kosher. Any land animal, so a cow, a goat, a sheep, it has split hooves and it chews its cud, it's kosher. It's a kosher animal. You can eat from its food. Now, with all of this, like we mentioned previously, it has to be slaughtered properly. It means there's a right way in which we bring that food to the table. And when someone buys kosher meat or kosher chicken, there's a proper way in which it needs to be slaughtered in or and washed and soaked and salted to ensure that it's kosher. So it's not just that it comes from a kosher animal, but also that the process from raising it to the slaughtering, till packing it and getting it ready for your dinner is all done in a proper fashion. The last is birds. Chicken, turkey, duck, all of those are kosher animals uh, again, they need to be slaughtered in a proper fashion, the details of which, again, you can find in Leviticus 11, the Torah goes straight through any type of uh, aggressive, like an eagle is not kosher, a uh, raven is not kosher, even though the Midrash tells us some of these animals have magnificent character traits like the eagle, the nesher, the Midrash tells us that it has unbelievable mercy, it's such a merciful animal. But there are reasons why Hashem commanded us not to eat those animals. So like you said, the, the first question that in, in discussing this is, is, is this a kosher species or not a kosher, kosher species? But, and then there's a, an entirely different layer of has, have, have we done, if it's, once it's a kosher species, there's still a lot to determine whether it's, permitted or not for other reasons. I'll give you an example. Fruit and vegetables that are grown in Israel 
have special requirements of tithing that needs to happen in order to be allowed to eat it. So therefore, it's very relevant, even though it's perfectly, it's a tomato that's perfectly kosher, and there's nothing, no kosher question regarding the actual product, but were the tithes that's supposed to be given, originally was given to the Kohen, um, but it needs to be kept pure, and we have difficulty with keeping pure nowadays. So because of that, it just needs to be separated in order for me to eat from a tomato. So a tomato that grows in Israel is very questionable. Make sure that there's a proper certification on it to know, even though it's by its definition kosher, but if the tithes haven't been taken, then in a sense it's not kosher. There's another um, facet that people don't realize. So although we said, yes, all fruits and vegetables are by their very nature kosher, but the science, as things develop, and the more scientific you get, you realize that it isn't that simple. For instance, there's a lot of processes that people are simply not aware of. Like, do you know that when you buy an apple in the store, how, how come it looks so beautiful and shiny? Well, guess what? They're putting a wax cover and coating on it. Well, what is that wax made out of? Good question. <laughs> And although the apple's fine, but I don't know what's coating it. And that's why there's rabbis who are actually looking into this and saying, what are these food-grade waxes made out of? And sometimes they're made actually out of animal product, which is fat. And that's a big halachic concern because even if it's from a kosher animal, who says that animal was slaughtered properly? If you have an animal that wasn't slaughtered properly, then that food that comes from that animal is completely non-kosher, even though it's a kosher species. So that's why it's a there's a special law details of how things need to be slaughtered to minimize the pain to the animal. It's done very very specific way by God-fearing Jews. That's what's required to eat from the animals, um, and therefore. People don't have no idea what they're dealing with. They don't even know that there's so many kosher issues that are affected, are affecting whether or not even a fruit coming from the ground or coming from a tree can be affected. It's interesting that over the years, I've had so many people talk to me about kosher. And many times people don't realize that, you know, just the Wrigley's chewing gum uh, may have pig fat in it known as as gelatin. Gelatin is pig fat and that's the substance that's inside the that inside the bubble gum or the chewing gum that gives it that that texture. Uh so that it's problematic. Now they have uh glycerin is also a form of pig fat, but they have a kosher form of that which comes from a fish, which is glycerol. Uh and these different chemicals and components, these components that are put into foods render them not kosher. So it's very important to ensure that they have a kosher certification. So now we get into the discussion of kosher certification. One of the common questions that I get is why are there so many different types of kosher certifications. Uh, just to name a few of the big ones, you have the OU, which is the most famous, which is the Orthodox Union. You have the Star K. You have 
the Hufke, you have the OK, you have here in Houston, we have the HKA, the Houston Kashrut Association, and there are hundreds and hundreds of other Kashrut agencies. So just to, to bring some clarity to this, you know, it used to not be that there was ever any type of kosher certification. You'd bring your chicken to the rabbi, or you bring it to the shaykhet, to the slaughterer, and they would check for its uh, vital signs of being kosher, and the shaykhet would slaughter it, and you'd take your chicken home, and that was it. And you learned, my mother, when she was in school, in the Jewish uh, day school in New York, they taught them how to wash and soak and rinse and clean the animal to, 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 to render it kosher after it was slaughtered. Because he used to he used to actually bring your chicken to the shaykhet, to the slaughterer. Today, we don't have that. Today, everything is packaged. Today, we have manufacturing plants that produce kosher. Uh, many times, you'll have manufacturing plants that produce kosher and non-kosher. They'll have one line, which is the kosher line, another line, which is the non-kosher line. And you need to make sure that they don't get mixed up between the two. They don't run the kosher on the non-kosher line and the non-kosher on the kosher line. That can make... Uh, problems as well. Therefore, what happened was, is that you had communities like you have Houston and you have Dallas and you have San Antonio just here in Texas and you have Austin and each one has their own rabbi who companies, stores, restaurants, uh, manufacturing plants will reach out to and say, we need you to certify, you know, so that our community can benefit from our kosher food and they'll go to the local rabbi. So what happened was, is, and this is a story that many people don't know is that Heinz ketchup was the first product to ever put a OU on it. In fact, they approached the Orthodox Union saying they want a certified kosher. And they're like, why are you coming to us? We, what we like, we're just, <laughs> so they actually sent out a rabbi and he gave the certification on the ketchup of Heinz ketchup. And they said, okay, where's your logo? We'll put your kosher symbol logo on the Heinz ketchup. And they said, we have no logo. And Heinz made the OU logo that we have today with the U with a circle around it. And that's become today a an unbelievable industry where manufacturing plants have find it very beneficial to certify their products kosher because it opens them up to an enormous industry, an enormous market of kosher consumers. There are many people who look at kosher as just being healthy. And other people look at kosher as being, you know, something like vegan or uh, other dietary uh, benefits. And I do kosher. The truth is, as Jews, kosher is our way of life. This We only eat what's kosher. So it's very important for us to have proper certification of the foods and drinks that we uh, consume. Because if they're not, who knows what's being put into them? I'll just share a quick story. I was once asked by the CRC, the the Chicago Rabbinic Council, approached me and they said they were doing an agreement here with one of the local plants in Houston, and they wanted me to be the temporary mashgiach, the temporary rabbinical supervision. And it was it was amazing to learn how this really works from the inside. And this was a regular plant, not owned by Jews, and they had a run of of. Uh, you know, like kosher potato chips that they were they were running, and and these veggie uh, chips, and I, my job was to verify and to come do surprise checks and make sure that everything was operating as agreed. It turned out that they ended up doing a kosher run on the non-kosher line, and these chips were going through oil, hot oil that were previously had 
pork rinds and things like that on that same line. And they're putting this, quote, kosher potato chips right into that same oil. That's very problematic because that renders those chips non-kosher. So, and this was a mistake that we caught. And thankfully, you know, having a reliable kosher supervision of the CRC, they were able to stop that line from being going out to market and all of that needed to be thrown out uh, because that's that could be or at least be labeled as non-kosher um, and not be labeled with the kosher certification. These are things which are very important because when someone sees a kosher symbol on food, they expect that it be indeed kosher. And that's the responsibility of the rabbi and the supervision uh, behind it uh, to ensure that when there is a certification, when there is a hashgacha, when there is a supervision for food, that indeed it is kosher. So a lot of times I hear a question that's like, what's with like a candy? Candies, I mean, basically you look at the ingredients, it's pure sugar, basically. <laughs> sugar isn't a kosher sensitive type of product. So what could be the problem? So I just want to give you an example of something that you and I probably wouldn't have even thought of that could create a great problem when it comes to kosher. So there were these candies that are basically uh, lifesaver type candies, which is basically a circle with a hole in it. So what? It's pure candy. It's pure sugar, basically. Look at all the ingredients. There's nothing non-kosher in the ingredients. However, never thought, how did they make that hole in the candy? And, you know, candy's kind of sticky. It'll stick to the hole puncher. So what did they do? They greased the hole puncher with animal fat to make it not sticky. It's very greasy. It's not so sticky. And that's how they produce those candies. Obviously, that's a big kosher question. And it therefore wouldn't be kosher. So therefore, it's like there's a lot of things that we wouldn't actually think of. And that's why it's not even, they wouldn't even need to put that in as an official ingredient because it's only not even significant. That's why it's important, even if you're seeing candy in the store, it's like, well, what could be bad with this? What could be wrong with this? You have no idea. There's another thing that's a good example of a kosher idea that you would never uh, would think would be an issue. So also candy in the candy department. There's this red color, food coloring. So what could be bad with red food coloring? Um, it's just color. The answer is you have to look at how it's made. Sometimes one of the ingredients is called carmine. I don't want to scare you, but actually carmine is made from bugs. It's a certain shell of a certain bug that is actually red that they crush and they mix it in, and that's what gives it its red color. And that is, of course, a big problem. Jews are not allowed to eat pretty much any bugs, um, by and large, and therefore it wouldn't be allowed to be eaten. So that's our those are a few examples of where you would think, well, what could be wrong with this? What could be bad with this? That's why there's so much, like I said, so much science involved. just want to give you another example. I actually uh, do the, I'm the rabbinical supervisor for a plant for the Star K, which uh, they have a few few things over here in near Houston. And they reach out usually to rabbi, local rabbis so that they don't have to 
pay for the flight. And um, this is a plastic plant. They produce plastic. So why would that be an issue? The answer is, the answer is, is that, uh, well, plastics is huge science in plastics. Plastic itself is not a food product. However, in order to, if you ever looked at different packaging, you'll notice that sometimes it's very thick, the packaging. Sometimes it's thinner. Sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it's translucent. And they're all for various purposes. Why you want this color? Some allow some of, some air come in, some don't. It's a lot of deep science and proprietary science. That's why anybody who goes to these plants needs to sign that they are non-disclosure. They're not going to share any information about the secrets of how they produce their plastics. But one layer might have a product that helps give it that sheen that may come from animal products. And that's very important to make sure that that's not the part that's coming in contact with the food and it doesn't leach into the food. And that's why it's very, very relevant to have uh, supervision for even something like that. Another important understanding on the kosher industry is that everything is layered from the beginning of the process all the way to the end. Every step of the way, there's somebody certifying it, and that allows it to go down the food chain, so to speak, to enable the consumer to buy it. So in other words, when I'm going to the store and I'm buying a thing of hot dogs, so besides for the meat of hot dogs, I need to know the hot dog, kosher hot dog company needs to know that the plastic that they're getting is from, is a kosher plastic that that's permitted for them to use. And, and there, and a lot of the certifying agencies are relying on other certifying agencies. So we are relying the, the, the agency of the, that, uh, that produced the plastic says, well, we're, they actually buy the raw product material from another company, a chemical company. And I, they need to know that that product doesn't have any animal products in it. And sometimes there's a rabbi who certifies that as well. So every layer is built up till it gets to the consumer. So just as a quick summary, kosher is very easy, but it's also very complicated. So that's why wherever you go, there are, you can search it online, kosher symbols. You see a kosher product. You see a product which has a kosher symbol on it. Verify that it's a, an authentic kosher symbol. Just having a K doesn't mean anything. Uh, make sure that it's a, a, a bona fide and reliable kosher supervision. One more thing that I would just like to mention is that even things like Rabbi Nagel mentioned, even things that are not consumed, like silver foil pans. You wonder, like, why does that need to be kosher? Why do they need to put a kosher symbol? Plastic bags, like uh, Ziploc bags, they have an OU. Why? Because if that's, if you're going to store your food in there, you want to make sure that it isn't completely greased with, you know, some animal fat, uh, and now you're putting your food in there, and that can cause problems. So just uh, a little caution when we're uh, dealing with with food, we want to make sure that we put into our body something which is good for our body, spiritually, and good for our soul. Now, another question, if we're already talking about food and kosher food, I, I literally got this question twice, where someone called me and said, Rabbi, I'm right now in a restaurant. It wasn't a kosher restaurant. 
He says, and I'm enjoying this food so much. Should I recite a blessing on this non-kosher food that I'm eating? What are your thoughts? I don't think it's such a simple question, actually. You know, I'll tell, I just want to share first a story that I, I just heard today that took place in Europe many, many years ago. And it was with one of the very famous rabbis of the time in the 1700s, early 1800s. They know the Behuda is what he was known as. And a person knocks on his door, and he's a priest, priest knocking on the door. So he lets him in. How can I help you, sir? And this priest starts speaking to him in Yiddish, the Jewish language, Jewish tongue. And blown away, how does he know he's fluent in Yiddish language? How did it get there? And this person said he grew up as a, a young yeshiva bacher, and there was a halachic shayla that was asked to the rabbi. It was a case of a, a potato kugel, a souffle. I guess it's called a potato souffle in English. And it was Erev Pesach, the, the, eve, the day before Passover. And I don't know if you're familiar, but on, on the day before Passover, there's very, very difficult eating anything that day because it's already uh, forbidden for most of the day to eat already any, any more leavening, any bread products. And you're not allowed to either eat matzah till the evening because you want to have an excitement and to eat the matzah that night. So you're stuck between the, the two places and you try to find some vegetables anyway. So they had this potato souffle, fresh hot, and the person who had it found a little wheat kernel in it. Now, the wheat kernel in the potato souffle could be a question of chametz, a question of leavening, because after all, it could affect the, the potato kugel. And this poor boy was asked to be the one to send to the rabbi to ask him whether it's allowed to be eaten or not, and maybe it needs to be destroyed. So this poor boy smelling this delicious hot potato souffle, potato kugel, and he's smelling it the whole way, and he's starving. And the rabbi said, looks into it, and he thinks about it, and finally he says, you're going to have to get rid of it. You can't eat this. This is no good. And the poor boy couldn't control his desires, and he went and he ate it. He just gobbled it down. But before he gobbled it down, he thought to himself, he said, should I make a blessing, or shouldn't I make a blessing? And he concluded, how can he make a blessing? The rabbi said, you're not allowed to eat it. It's not just inconsistent to make a blessing. And what happened was, of course, you know, as plays with your mind, once I'm already eating what's not kosher, and once I'm already not making a blessing, why am I going to synagogue later? What am I going to do? And slowly but surely, he dropped everything and, uh, and became a priest. And, you know, of course, there's a mistake over there. Like, just because just you messed up once doesn't mean that you have to continue to mess up. And it's important to turn around and say that you can, you, just because you did something wrong doesn't mean you can't do teshuva. You can't repent from it. And God, won't, God will forgive that. And then you could start over. That's a very important principle. But he lost out on that, and he ended up where he ended up. And, of course, the rabbi invited him back and talked to him and slowly brought him back to full observance. But what's interesting is, is that that thought, like, oh, I just, you know, I just am eating not kosher. Should I make a blessing or not? Is actually the very same question that was being raised over here.
And in reality, you know, it's, it's good to think about this question. What are you doing? Was, first of all, was that boy right to not make a blessing? How could I make a blessing? And there's an expression, and it's actually verse in, in Tehillim, I believe. Botzea beirich ni'etz Hashem. Which means, talking about somebody who steals food, and he makes a blessing to God for the stolen food. Ni'etz Hashem. God finds that disgusting. What are you doing? Blessing God is to thank God for something that he gave you. And here you stole it. How, you know, that God didn't give it to you. You took something wrong. It's inappropriate to bless God for, God finds that disgusting. It's like, what are you blessing me for something that you're doing wrong? It's a big discussion whether that applies to food as well, uh, to that's kosher or non-kosher. It's not clear. But my natural feeling is, is that maybe, like, what are you, what, you know, what are you doing when you're blessing God? You're thanking Him for providing to you something that is permissible. And now, you're taking something that's prohibited and blessing him for it. It does. It, it's a big problem. What's the right thing to do? <laughs> Find kosher, and then you feel good about it. What you're doing. You know, one of the most fundamental mistakes Jews make about Judaism is that it's either all or nothing, and that's not true. In Judaism, it's not all or nothing. We're not a, you know, preposition of. You know, you either do it all or you do nothing and don't be a hypocrite. That's not true. It's not true. Every step that a person takes in connecting with the Almighty through his Torah, through his mitzvos, is exactly what Hashem wants. He wants us all to take the step that's in front of us. Take one step and one step at a time. But regarding this blessing, you know, I was asking to myself after, you know, I, I got off the phone with this individual. You know, what is the purpose of a blessing? Why do we recite a blessing? The Talmud says that one who enjoys from this world without thanking Hashem, without a blessing, is like he's stealing. What type of theft? I paid for this. I earned money. I got, I paid my taxes and now I, I want to buy myself an apple. I'm eating an apple and, and I don't say a blessing. I'm, I'm stealing. Why am I stealing? And I think the answer is because you're stealing from yourself the opportunity to enjoy. If someone doesn't realize that everything is a gift from Hashem, then they're missing out on the pleasure of the real connection with the Almighty. They're missing out on on taking that relationship to a new level. But in that relationship, which is the purpose of all of our life, Hashem guides us in His Torah of exactly what is and isn't healthy for that relationship. Kosher food, God says, is part of that relationship. Food is not just something physical. Food is something which is spiritual. And having something which is an antithetical to the relationship between us and Hashem, and then saying, I want to bless God, I want to thank God for it, is a slap in the face. It's like your child uh, comes to you, it does against your will and says thank you. Hashem wants a relationship with us. And the tools that we need, the ingredients that we need to be able to have that relationship is also part, when we talk about kosher, that's what it is. Kosher is about building that spiritual relationship with the Almighty. There's another component of kosher that I think is very important. A lot of us understand that there's certain foods that are unhealthy for us to eat. Oh, something that's very high in fat, 
pro- very highly processed. We understand that we have arteries. They're very skinny, these arteries inside of our heart. And if there's some plaque buildup, we can, God forbid, get a, get a heart attack. Well, what we need to realize is that when it comes to, to food that's kosher or non-kosher, there is spiritual cholesterol as well. And that's what, in fact, there's a verse in the Torah that describes that when you eat the non-kosher at the end of the same section in Leviticus, describes it, if you aren't careful in what you eat, it stops up your heart in a spiritual way. You're not going to be as capable of appreciating God, capable of elevating yourself to a higher spiritual levels. It's, it really does put a cover, uh, it's, it, there's a, you can get a spiritual heart attack in your, in the sense that you simply can't connect to godliness in the same way. And of course, if a person isn't aware, there's, they're able to learn and develop and they're able to repent. And that's how they can cleanse themselves from it, from that. In fact, on Yom Kippur, part of what we're doing when we're fasting is we're not eating and that the the lack of food that we that we have on that day that drains us a little bit of that blood of the non kosher that we can thereby cleanse ourselves and elevate ourselves back to our spiritual level. So this is really what the process is, and that's the story. All right, my dear friends, thank you so much for joining us on this journey, unboxing Judaism. If you have any questions, we look forward to you please emailing us at unboxing at torchweb.org, unboxing at torchweb.org. Rabbi Nagel, thank you so much. Amazing, and can't wait till next time.